I hope you're excited uh, by this morning. I hope you're excited by what you're hearing. And I hope you're excited to be here because um, what we wanted this morning to showcase was how important it is that people know Jesus. That's really what Operation Christmas Child is about. There's a cool thing about giving presents to kids at Christmas that aren't going to get presents. That's a cool thing. The amazing thing is how that opens up the door to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to share a real gift that will not fade, that will last forever. And even what God is doing in Cambodia through our brothers and sisters there and our ability to partner with them, whether, whether they're part of, the, part of the team going to Cambodia or part of the family that's here praying for David and the team going to Cambodia or raising money to help them, or getting Bibles, or whatever it is, being part of the mission of God is a significant thing. And we don't want to lose that. We don't want to forget that as a church, that we are invited to be on mission with God. And our goal is really to just showcase opportunities for how we can be involved in that mission. And so we've taken some extra time this morning in the week of Thanksgiving to look at that What does that look like for our church and how are we involved in the spread of the gospel throughout the world? It's one of the things that's exciting about being part of one church that meets in many places here, Whittier Hills and Uptown Whittier, that we have greater resources. We're part of a church that has a rich history of mission work throughout the world. That's an exciting thing. So I hope that's exciting for you as well. I hope this is also exciting for you because we have done a lot of other things this morning. I'm here this morning to bring you a word of encouragement. I say a word of encouragement because I think over 30 minutes is a sermon and under 30 minutes is a word of encouragement. So (laughs) I will do my very best to, to keep it as a word of encouragement. But I just want to, as we enter the week of Thanksgiving, I want to focus a little bit on that this morning because we're going to return to our series in Acts in January. We're going to take a little break for the holidays. We're going to take a break for Thanksgiving and for Christmas. Next week, we're going to start our Christmas series called God With Us, where we're going to um, look through the first few chapters of Luke and look at what happens when God breaks into the world and what does that mean for us during the Christmas season. This morning, we're going to talk about Thanksgiving and what that looks like for the church and what that means. You know, we start to get excited about Thanksgiving about now. Kids are out of school So they're already excited. Adults are wishing they were out of work and their responsibilities for the week. But everyone is looking forward to something this week. Most are looking forward to a meal, maybe time with family, maybe both. Maybe you're going to see some people that you haven't seen in a while. It would hardly be Thanksgiving without us talking about thankfulness because it wouldn't be a Thanksgiving meal without someone at the table saying, we should all go around the table and everyone should say what they're thankful for, right? And this was brought home to me during a pastor's meeting, actually. Our senior pastor, Robert Bishop, asked this question that I want to ask you this morning. If you were to wake up today with only the things that you had thanked God for yesterday, what would you have? I'll ask it again in case you missed it, but I heard a lot of, oh. (laughs) If you woke up today and all you had was what you had thanked God for yesterday, what would you have? What would you have lost is maybe the more appropriate question. I was really impacted by that question when he asked because it it exposed for me what I think is a pretty profound lack of gratitude in my life because I was trying to think of what I would have 
what, what would I be left with? It impacted me so much that I wanted to ask my family this question, and um, our family has a forum for that. Once a week, we try to get away. Used to be Sunday nights. Our life group meets on Sunday nights, so we're, we're searching for a new night. But once a week, it is our goal to get away to in and out That is our meal out for the week. We love in and out in our family, and we do this thing we call family questions. So we get a table outside, and everyone can ask questions of the family. I'll give you some examples. Um, Almost every week, someone asks, if you could get a dog, what kind of (laughs) dog would it be, (laughs) and what would it be named, okay? Sometimes they're deeper questions like, well, not deep, but what's the most memorable family vacation we've ever taken? Um, probably every couple weeks we get the what kind of, what is your favorite dinosaur? Um, so I asked my family this question. If you woke up today and all you had was what you thanked God for yesterday, what would you have? And almost everyone had the same response that you had. Uh, except our oldest daughter, Melissa, said, oh, I am so lucky, yesterday I thanked God for our house. So I would have our house and everything in it. (laughs) And I have to say, I was so proud. It prompted me to ask first, like, why? Why did you thank God for that yesterday? That's a conversation for another day. I was super proud of her. If I could have been, I was even more ashamed of myself at my own answer, but I I think that actually gets at the heart of something, which if we woke up with something, it's probably more because of a, like, fortunate timing than it is just a consistent heart of gratitude. I don't know how many of us really cultivate a consistent heart of gratitude. There's one thing to say it's Thanksgiving week, so we should all be thankful, but what does that really mean? And as followers of Jesus, what should we be thankful for? I, I could easily just say everything and sit down, And that would be appropriate. But I think as followers of Jesus, there's something we have to be thankful for that far exceeds what anyone else is going to thank or be thankful for around the table this week. So if you would, um, take your Bibles. We're going to be in 1 Timothy this morning. We're just going to look at five verses. If you don't have a Bible this morning, we have Bibles on the aisle here. So if you just raise your hand, we'll pass one down to you. And if that's too uncomfortable and you don't have a Bible, I would just encourage you on your way out, just grab one. These are for you to take. You're welcome to take one home with you if you want. So we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 1. If you're using our Bible, that's going to be page 991 of the New Testament. We're like almost at the very end if you're looking for 1 Timothy. And before we read, let me just pray. Lord, I just ask that you would speak through your word this morning, I, I pray that in this season of thankfulness, you would help us to cultivate hearts of gratitude toward you. And I pray this morning you, you would open our eyes to what we have to be truly thankful for. We pray this in your name. Amen. You'll have to forgive me if I pause every once in a while. I realized this morning I have no idea where I put my glasses, and um, I don't have large print notes. So I might just wing it at a certain point (laughs) because I really can't see any of this. Um, We're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 12. And what I want you to hear from Paul is what he's thankful for. This is just kind of a snapshot 
as he's writing to Timothy, he says in verse 12, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. And I'm going to stop there for a minute. No, that's okay. Thank you, though. Unless, are those my glasses? No, that's, thank you. All right. A generous offer of glasses from the back, but I'm afraid I'll throw up if I'm, they're not mine. <laughs> this is going well so far, don't you think? Okay. <laughs> so Paul says, I thank Jesus because he has judged me faithful. I think this is an interesting choice of words. He has judged me that sounds not good. He has judged me faithful. Isn't that interesting? Faithful and has assigned me, essentially, to serve him. And why does Paul thank God for that? He, he kind of unpacks that a little bit more. He says, sort of the continuation of that thought is, is verse 13, where he says, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent, my life before was opposed to God that I was irreverent toward him, says a blasphemer that his, um, his speech even was irreverent of God, calls him a persecutor. He literally pursued and oppressed the followers of Jesus Christ. So he was a persecutor of those who loved the Lord. And then the last thing he says is an insolent opponent. You could translate that a couple ways, an angry man, essentially, or like a violent man, or just disrespectful, even insulting of God. So Paul's saying, I thank God that he judges me faithful to serve him, even though I'm someone who was aligned against him. I, I set myself up as an enemy of God, and yet he judges me faithful and appoints me to serve him. He gives me an opportunity to serve with him. And he says, isn't that a cool thing, that that's the kind of God we serve? I thank Jesus for that. And then he goes a little bit further in verse 13. It says, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly and in unbelief. When he says I received mercy, it means I didn't receive what I deserved for that. I was set up as an opponent of God. I was his enemy, but I didn't get what I deserved for that. I acted in ignorance. Paul's not saying um, what I did wasn't bad. He's just saying I didn't know. If you know the story of Paul, he was passionate for God. He just happened to be oppressing and persecuting his people. He just didn't know. And he said, though I acted in unbelief, God has somehow judged me faithful and allowed me to serve him, even though I had set myself up as his enemy. And it was this encounter that Paul has with Jesus that really transformed his life. And verse 14 he continues, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. He says, the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying the favor of God overwhelmed me. And my response to that is faith in Jesus Christ and a love for Jesus Christ. It's the response to the gospel of God's unmerited favor that's poured out on him to say the only way I know to respond is to put my trust in Jesus and to love him because that is exceptional how he has loved me. And the question I would ask from that for us is, is that true of us? 
if you're a follower of Jesus, is it, are you overwhelmed by the grace and mercy of God? Do you ever stop and take a moment to think about where you were and where you are and how he considers you, a friend, his child, through what you've been through, maybe what you've done? Paul says, I thank God that in his mercy and in his grace is so overwhelming, I can't help but respond in faith and love toward him. So he says, I thank God because he judges me faithful and allows me to serve him in, in spite of who I am, in spite of where I'm coming from. The second thing he says is, I, I thank God for Jesus. Look at this in verse 15. He says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. He said, that's a weird way to start a sentence, by the way. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. You see him do this actually quite a bit when he's writing to Timothy and Titus. He's basically saying, you can take this to the bank. Jesus came to die for sinners, and, and I'm the biggest one that you'll find. This is the gospel in one verse. Jesus came for this express purpose to reconcile people to God that are separate from him, sinners. That's the summary of that. He came to reconcile them to himself. That's everybody. Scripture is very clear on that point. All have sinned, and Paul says, I'm the biggest one. And as Paul has outlined, he, he offers mercy. He offers his unmerited favor toward everybody who would accept that. He says, I am the greatest sinner. And that's not just Paul exaggerating, and that's not just Paul being humble. That's Paul expressing the reach of the gospel, the extent of the gospel. He's saying, if, if the gospel can save me, if Jesus can save me, he can save anybody. Everyone is eligible for the gift that God is offering. Some of you might be thinking, well, not everyone, <laughs> not me. You don't know who I am. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. And that's probably true. But God does. He knows exactly who you are, what you've done, where you've been. And that feels pretty exposing to us. And that's what Paul is saying. He knows all of that, and you're still not out of his reach. The gospel says, wherever you are, I will find you and I will bring you back to a God who loves you in spite of who you are. That's part of Paul's praise here. I thank God. In spite of who I am, he loves me. In spite of who I am, he invites me to serve him. And I thank God for Jesus, who came for the express purpose of dying for those who are out of relationship with him, which, by the way, is everybody. And I thank God for that. And Paul is using himself as an example to say, I am the foremost sinner. I literally hunted down the people of God to beat them, imprison them. I stood by and watched them stoned to death because they trusted Jesus as their savior. And if God can rescue me, then who is out of his reach? And he continues then in verse 16. But I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. 
but I received mercy. We've heard that before. We heard that exact phrase, but I received mercy. He says, but I did not receive what I deserved. And the first time he says it, he says that my response was faith and love for Jesus because of what he's done. I can't help but respond that way because that's overwhelming. And this time he says, but I received mercy for an express purpose. What was the purpose? Because in my story of rescue, that points people to Jesus. God is going to use my story to tell others about the saving work of Jesus Christ. Isn't that a cool thing? Isn't that a great thing to talk about on a day when people are being baptized into the family of God? That our story of rescue points other people to Jesus. And Paul says, that's, that's part of my story. That's, part of, that's one of the things that I thank God for. Thank God that he saved me. Thank God that he, that he brought Jesus. And thank God that he uses my story to point other people to him. And then he ends with this. Or we'll end with this this morning. Verse 17. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Just think about this for a minute. So he's just talked about all these things that he's thankful for. I'm thankful that God counts me faithful in spite of who I am. He allows me to serve him. I'm thankful for Jesus who came to save sinners like me. And he says, and, and then I'm also, I'm thankful that God uses my story to point other people to him. And then he ends with basically a thanks, a praise. It's almost impossible to separate the two when we're talking about God. Thanksgiving and praise are kind of the same thing. It's just attributing worth to God. And look at the words that he uses in this prayer of thanksgiving, kind of this benediction he gives. He, says, he calls him the king of all ages. Just think about it for a minute. King conveys a certain kind of status, right? In charge of all ages means forever. He is the eternal king. That's what that means. And he says immortal God. When we talk about God being the immortal God, that means God is the everlasting God. That means he does not begin or end. He's forever. He is forever king. We're starting to add these things up now. And then he says, the invisible God. I don't know about you, this one makes me pause. Because if you really think about it, we read this sometimes. We just think, oh yeah, the immortal king of invisible. Wait a minute. Why do we praise God for being invisible? Does that strike anyone as odd? It struck me as odd, and I did not have an answer to this. <laughs> and I had to ask some people, why do we praise God for being invisible? God is spirit, we understand that, so he's not visible in the way that we think of people. And I think for me, part of what's helpful for me in this is just to say that, you know what, God is not like us. He's just not like us. This points to God being spirit, as we see in John chapter four, it talks about that. Um, invisible might be a way of expressing his, his deity, sort of the supernaturalness of God. Romans 1.20 says this, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Saying we see God in what he has made, we actually see him clearly. 
So is that strange? This strange contradiction of we clearly see an invisible God and we praise him for that. So I don't want to take too much time on that, but I just, if that hangs you up like it hangs me up, why are we praising God for being invisible? Well, as Paul says in Romans, we, we clearly see an invisible God and he is not like us. He's not just one of us. So king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, that's how he ends it. The only God, he's unchallenged, he's unparalleled, he's without equal. Not only is he really without equal, he's the only one. It means that you are without alternative. There's not another choice. He's the only God. To that God be honor and glory and praise forever and ever. That's what he's saying. He's saying praise God, thank God that he is merciful, thank God that he is glorious, thank God that he is gracious, thank God that he is loving. That's what he's saying here. So what does he thank God for? He says, I thank God because he allows me to serve him in spite of who I am. I thank God for Jesus and I thank God that my story points other people to Jesus. So the question for us I think this morning is, can you think of a better day to have a baptism? <laughs> if that's what we're thanking God for, along with Paul, if we just echo that thanks, can you think of a better day to have a baptism? How cool is this? Can you think of a better day to come together as a family to share a meal and to celebrate people coming into the family of God and making that proclamation? Isn't that a cool thing? And I think today, you know, we celebrate with our family members who are making this statement of faith and saying that I have this new life in Jesus Christ and I trust him as my savior. We celebrate with them that they're part of our family. We celebrate that they're part of God's family. The thing that we don't want to miss here is that who is the hero of this story? Who is the hero of their story? As followers of Jesus, who's the hero of our story? It's not us. It is God. God is the hero. He has done the work he has done the pursuing. He has been the one to relentlessly hunt us down to pour out love on us and mercy. So thank God that he's like that. So this week, as you go out into your week for Thanksgiving, I would just say, thank God that he's a God like that. And I would invite you to join us for the baptism. Even if you're not signed up yet, it's fine. Just bring some food and show up, four o'clock. Just celebrate with us what God is doing in our family, that he has rescued people into his own family. I'd like to make another invitation. There are some of you that are followers of Jesus and you've never been baptized. And I would just say, you may not know this, but today we have a baptism <laughs> and we would love for you to join us. It's not too late for you to be baptized today. We'd love to do that. And we'd love to celebrate with you that step of faith. Baptism does not save you. It is a public declaration of your trust in Jesus Christ that we share with him in his death and resurrection and that we celebrate that together as a family. So I would just invite you, if you have not been baptized, today would be a great day to do it. So do it. Don't wait. Be baptized. There's one other invitation I want to make to you this morning. Some of you are here this morning and maybe you don't know Jesus you haven't trusted him. It's not a question of baptism. It's that you, you haven't trusted him for salvation. 
you haven't accepted the gift that he is offering that he's extended to you. And you, you understand that Jesus died in your place and you've heard that and you understand that he offers forgiveness and that he offers mercy and offers to give us what we don't deserve, which is a life together with him forever. And you have just never made that step. You have never put your trust in him. And I would just invite you this morning, would you take that step? Would you trust in him? Would you look at a God that loves you that way? And would you just be overwhelmed by his mercy and his grace that he offers and say, you know what, I want that. I want to experience that kind of love. I want to experience the new life that I find in Christ. I want to stand before God someday, blameless before him because of the work of Jesus on the cross. And I'm I'm going to do it today. We have an opportunity right now to sing praises and thank God for the kind of God he is. And during that time, we're going to have some people in the back at the tables just available to pray with you. If you want to be baptized, if you need prayer, if you want to put your trust in Jesus as your Savior, this would be the time to do it. And I would just invite you to walk to the back and find somebody to have that conversation with. I'm going to bring our worship team forward now. And I just want to draw your attention one more time to those connection cards. We've asked you to fill those out. Here's something I would ask you to do. If you have a prayer request, tell us. If you have a God story, tell us. If you don't have either of those things, would you write something on that card that you're thankful for? Praise God that he's like this. And the reason I'm asking you to do that is because every one of those cards we pray for. And I would love to just spend some time praising God for all of his attributes, and many of them I can't think of and you can. So would you share that with us? And then when the ushers come later to take our offering, we'll collect them at that time.